everyone. Thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb 250. This week, we are joined by our first-time guest, an unresolved custody decision, Evan Culbertson. Hello. How's it going, Evan? Uh, it's going pretty well. All right. Thanks for, so much for being with us today, especially through all the technical issues that the listeners really need to know about. Yeah, of <laughs> course. Yell at me for letting people in behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, well, that's diff- it's different when I do it. We're letting you into our blanket fort and yes. into our heart. <laughs> Come in under the blankets. <laughs> and that that voice of it's it's okay it's an okay voice is the voice of you know some one child's lonely abandoned backpack it's kayla st Ange. what up you know phil's sister said that i have a great radio voice and i just want that committed to microphone <laughs> for future <laughs> reference <laughs> Get it in that mic. <laughs> well, I couldn't. Committed to paper didn't really work. <laughs> you could just say committed to record? It's, you know, committed to MP3? Yeah, no. Let the record show. Kayla yeah, has a great radio show. voice. It's officially on the internet. Let, let the microphone show. <laughs> Anything else. <laughs> and I am your host, the knowledge that nothing will ever, ever be okay, Tyler Hannon. I'm supposed to go first, but oh well. <laughs> We've ruined it. We have assembled this week to talk about a fun romp of a movie that we'll be re- bringing to people this weekend. You know, really lift their spirits in this wintry time. But first, we want to talk about a few of the things we've seen recently. Evan, why don't you lead us off? What have you watched recently that you want to talk about? Yeah, so it's Oscar season, and as such, I've been catching up on all of the Oscar movies I have not yet seen. And pretty recently, I watched The Martian, uh, the new Ridley Scott movie that I'm sure many people have heard of, considering it's one of the highest grossing movies of the year. And I have pretty mixed thoughts on it. Uh, It's, as you probably know, starring Matt Damon as an astronaut who is left behind on Mars because his crew thinks he's dead. Uh, But he's not dead. He's quite alive and trying to live on Mars. And... It was, you know, pretty interesting. Uh, Ridley Scott obviously knows what he's doing with science fiction. You know, he made Alien and Blade Runner, you know, two of the most heralded science fiction movies of all time. Mm -hmm. But on one hand, I felt like the movie wanted to be like Castaway or The Revenant. Uh, It's better than The Revenant. Just get that in there. But (laughs) it wanted to be a survival movie. You know, it wanted to show us Matt Damon on his own making it in the Martian wasteland. Because we don't have enough movies of Matt Damon making it on his own and then needing to be rescued. <laughs> oh, and, of course not. <laughs> and as, he, as Matt Damon himself says, it's a movie about him sciencing the shit out of, the, out of Mars. <laughs> yeah, and he definitely does that. And there is some really fun stuff where he like talks to the camera about, like, I'm the best uh, botanist on Mars. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, but then, like, the other big part of the movie is, like, the crew that leaves him behind has Jessica Chastain and Sebastian Stan, and Kate Mara, and then the crew on Earth that's trying to, like, bring him home has, you know, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Sean Bean, and Jeff Daniels. For some reason, uh, Kristen Wiig is in this movie, and Donald Glover is in this movie, and it's really distracting, because there's so many celebrities in this movie, and I can't tell if it's, like, an ensemble picture about, you know, bringing him home, or if it's about him surviving and eventually triumphing. Uh, it's very confusing. It's very, like, the cinematography's great. The production design is great. 
the cast is great. You know, those are all great actors. I just don't know what they're all doing here. <laughs> this is like, it surprised me because uh, we rented it and Tyler wanted to watch it. And I told him that I didn't want to watch it because I was like, man, I don't want to be bummed out about this guy probably dying alone on Mars. And he was like, no, no, no. It's actually like super funny and good humored. And it was actually kind of hard to believe that. And then I went and watched the trailer and realized that I was wrong, probably, unless he faces a horrible death or something. And I just don't know about it. But I feel like from what I know of the movie, it definitely seems to have, like, a super identity crisis going on, like you are describing. <laughs> well, it is the Golden Globe Award-winning comedy. So. Yeah, that was what was confusing to me, actually. That was the <laughs> which, beginning of the confusion. Which, that has been beaten into the ground, <laughs> but it's just funny. It's, it, I, I enjoyed the movie, um, maybe a little bit more than Evan, although I am, it doesn't need to be in the Best Picture race. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly fun, it, pr- perfectly fun and enjoyable blockbuster, but it is not a blockbuster that rises to the level of, say, uh, Mad Max or I haven't seen it, but what people, what the way people talk about Creed and things like that. Um, Ooh, Creed is so good. That's, I am very disappointed in myself for missing it, and I will, I feel, I feel I must shame myself on this podcast. Say Patrick is somewhere just like fuming. (laughs) He just punched the table. Like I've told you so many times, (laughs) but uh, yeah, this movie, it's really, it's really fun. I think part of why it's been so successful and why people liked it so much is because it's so unexpected. Mm -hmm. It's like the same thing with Creed, the same thing with the big short. These are big blockbusters that people did not expect to be as good as they were and so in some of those cases we're elevating them a bit like the big short is now a favorite for best picture the martian has been a major player of the awards race although i do think matt damon is really good in it um it actually that was probably the two the two things i most took from the movie are these one which a lot of people have talked about ridley scott making a good movie again yeah. After a bunch of movies that some there are some defenders of the counselor and things like that and Prometheus, but there shouldn't not, be, but you know, <laughs> but no, it's 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 been rough. It's been rough no matter how rosy of a picture you try to paint. And also, uh, Matt Damon's very problematic comments on Project Greenlight aside, or you know, being taken into consideration. Uh, I love Matt Damon as an actor and he hasn't really gotten to kind of just shine as a movie star in a bit. And I was really happy that uh, we had this to at least to remind me that Matt Damon is a really great movie star. He's a movie star, but also a good actor. And so when he gets a good movie where he just gets to kind of play around and have a blast, it turns out pretty well. I don't know if he's best actor, but you know, I'm well, I totally agree. I think that, you know, on, on that note about best actor, I was thinking about it and I don't know, I was listening to some podcast. It might have been Wesley Morris talking about this. I love uh, Wesley Morris so much. But the idea of, you know, again, not to belabor the point, sorry, Kayla, about this versus The Revenant <laughs> and about Leo's performance, which is seen as a shoe in for best actor. Uh, but if you if you switch these roles, if you put Matt Damon in The Revenant and if you put Leonardo DiCaprio in The Martian, I think The Revenant's the same movie. It's the same amount of suffering. It's the same scowling and, you know, beautiful nonsense that it is. But I don't think Leo could carry what 
Matt Damon does in The Martian. And I think that's, you know, maybe that's not your criteria for picking best actor, but I think it's really notable that the the natural charisma that Matt Damon has to, I mean, you feel his loneliness and you also feel, I mean, I think he quips a bit too much in this movie. He's a little too jokey, but you want to you want to be there with him. It doesn't take a lot of uh, plot for you to want to bring him home. And I think that's something that Matt Damon just brings to the role. Yeah, that was Wesley Morris, I believe, on the Bill Simmons podcast. Yeah, yeah. Talking about how you can replace Leo with a bunch of different people, and it's going to be not – it's not going to be a lot different. It might not be quite as good, but it's not going to be as impressive. Whereas even – like, especially with those jokes, I mean, there are a lot of them, and you have to pull – most of them off and not a lot of people can carry this movie the way that Matt Damon has to by nature of its structure for much of its runtime. So. I also kind of like um I like having movies like The Martian and The Big Short in the Oscar race in a way because it kind of lends more credence to that mid-tier level kind of movie. Mm-hmm. So like it doesn't have to be a giant blockbuster but it also doesn't have to be like a super stuffy artsy biopic i think it kind of hopefully will lead the way to more of just like normal movies being made again because like if i feel like pretty much every movie is either a giant blockbuster like superhero action movie or trademark oscar movie so if more like i guess maybe normal movie isn't the right term for it but more just like mid-level like interesting dramas or comedies or whatever can be considered for awards like that, then maybe we can get back to a time where we can have a more varied slate throughout the year for movies. Because as much as I love watching a hundred Marvel movies a year and like as much as (laughs) I'm super ready for civil war and to see Chris Evans, beautiful body on screen again, (laughs) I also would like to see more variants in what I want to go see at movie theaters, you know? And I feel like if movies like these win awards, then maybe studios will realize that they can do different things sometimes. Which I would just like to summarize as let Steven Soderbergh make movies again. <laughs> yes, please. Please. Like the Nick's great, but I want movies again from Steven Soderbergh. Put Chris Evans no, in a Soderbergh No, Steven you Soderberg had your time. Movie. You had your time. <laughs> Hey, look, Bucky's in The Martian. Bucky's in it. That actually, that was what I was going to do is my, like, putting Chris Evans in here, but then that actually worked out really well where I was able to reference a huge Marvel blockbuster. <laughs> you know, Sorry, it's Chris better Evans. if you don't call attention to it. It's more impressive if you don't talk about how you fit it in <laughs> and just let it seem natural. It was natural. Yeah, but then now you're now we're talking about it, and it seems less natural now. <laughs> That's you know? okay. I just want everyone to know that the Chris Evans oh, corner is back what? and will just... never, ever... Go away. So, anyway, continuing on. Anyways, yeah, I think we've talked about it before, the loss of the mid-tier movie. It's all about they're they're either trying to maximize how much money they make or maximize the number of awards they get. And there isn't as much space for the mid-tier stuff that won't make as much money that aren't as surefire bets. These studios, for making as much money as they do, are built on these tent poles and kind of live from tent pole to tent pole and all that stuff. It's actually very fascinating. It's just a, there's a lot to it. We don't have much time to That's unpack That's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> it is fascinating, though. Uh, Evan, now that we have taken yeah. it far away from The Martian to parts unknown or parts too well-known, do you have any final points of The Martian or do you want to move on to the next thing? Uh, no, I can move on to my second recommendation, All right. uh, which is a television show called The 100 that airs on CW. 
Um, I know that that might turn a lot of listeners off because it's a CW drama, but <laughs> bear with me here. It's a uh, it's a post apocalyptic show. Um, it's in its third season. It just premiered a couple weeks ago, and it's set about a hundred years after in a world where nuclear war has wiped out all life on Earth. Uh, the only survivors went into space, as you do. You know, space. I actually didn't draw this connection between my recommendations, but they're you know both in space. Uh, and it's in this colony called the Ark, and they're running out of air. So they don't have enough resources. So if you're a criminal, if you commit a crime, they float you or, you know, throw your body into space because they can't afford to keep prisoners. Unless you're under the age of 18. They're not just killing children. Uh, so what happens oh, is they realize, oh, no, we can't survive up here forever. We need to get back down to Earth somehow. We don't know if it's livable because of nuclear war. Let's send all these underage criminals down, because if they die, who cares? And so they do that, and these hundred uh, children under 18 go down to Earth, and they survive. And things are not what they seem on the Earth's surface. And I'll try not to spoil it, because it's a very exciting show. It's a lot like, I would compare it to Lost or... Maybe Game of Thrones, um, in that it's this ensemble cast and it's about survival and it's very morally interesting. It has the main character is canonically bisexual and she's also the best written character on television right now. I think uh, <laughs> it's really awesome. It's a really diverse cast, uh, you know, multi-ethnic, and there are queer characters and. The characters are complicated. You know, the female characters aren't just, like, strong in that boilerplate way. They're complicated, and it's just really well written, and I love it. And everyone should watch it. Please give it a chance. It's great. <laughs> um, it is on Netflix, actually, if I remember correctly. Yes. And if you live in Canada, all, they put up all the episodes on Netflix the day after they air. So oh, That's great. <laughs> if you live in Canada, you can watch all of it right now. If you live in America, you can watch part of it and then download the rest on Tumblr like the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> Let the right films in does not advocate for illegal pirating <laughs> yeah. of licensed products. It's on Hulu. Go on Hulu. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Kayla's opinions of Let the of Kayla's opinions are not the express opinions of Let the Right Films In. Sorry, I didn't think about that. <laughs> no, I'm okay. Anyway, so there's like usually like they'll put it in a Google Drive and you can just stream it and it's really right, yeah. cool. <laughs> Anyways, I, I I had heard of the hundred, but suddenly in the last couple of weeks it's been popping up a bit more on the different television and movie podcasts I listen to, probably because it's on right now, so it makes mm -hmm. sense for people to be talking about it. But I have heard a large number of positive things, and it's I don't really watch the CW, but it is really cool that they're kind of developing a really well-regarded lineup for something that used to be considered, oh, that's just where they put the young pretty people. And right. they, like, feel things or whatever. If only um, they could bring that many diverse female characters to Supernatural. That said, <laughs> as you were describing the plot, I was like, oh, so that's how they make it so it's just a bunch of young pretty people. I was Ingenious. Actually, I was actually curious because I, was, I, I have seen a decent amount about this show on Tumblr because obviously Tumblr loves this show. And I was kind of curious as to how they were like, yes, we will put all of the, like, what is the crime that these children have committed <laughs> that warrants basically a death sentence? Like, 
Are they yeah. murderers? Uh, are they thieves? Are they plunderers? You're lucky like... your birthday is in a month because if it was, we'd kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's something that's addressed on the show. I mean, they're they're imprisoned for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of them is because he goes, well, yeah, he goes outside in a, on a spacewalk without permission. Uh, you know, they they kill people. They have stolen resources because they're so limited. Um, but yeah, if you're an adult, that's it for you. And if up until this point, you would just be locked up for your sentence uh, and then maybe reintegrated into society. But they decided to, to kill all of the children instead uh, by sending them to Earth. So <laughs> yeah. they don't care. Don't it's know, brutal. Guess... It's like it's tough. And I think that's something that's interesting about it is that it's not afraid to go there. Uh, God, that sounds so lame. Uh, but, they totally go there, man. I know. I realized as soon as I said it how horrible I sound. No, uh, it was good. It was good. No, it is a valid point. It's the, it's dark and it's interesting, and I I really love it. So it's not it's not just uh, kind of skipping over the parts where you know people are murdered for possibly pretty superfluous legal reasons and all that. They actually, oh no, they definitely talk about that. Yeah. They deal with the complications of morally and societally in this odd society oh definitely no that's that sounds good if i didn't have twelve thousand things on my watch list i would put that up there it's right. on my watch list but i promised eva that i was gonna watch degrassi so <laughs> <laughs> i have to do that first excellent all right well thanks so much for sharing those with us evan yeah. kayla what have you been watching um well i watched several things this week but the things that I'm going to talk about are, first of all, uh, continuing our theme from last week. I sat down for the first time and actually paid attention while watching Big Hero 6. Um, I've had it on at work a lot and just, like, listened to it. But what I didn't really realize is how many visual cues and jokes there are in that movie. And I seriously have been missing out. But it was, like, one of those movies that I was kind of wary about when it first came out because it, again, had kind of, like, a sort of negative hype machine going for a little bit because of, like, deviation from source material and all that kind of stuff. But it's just a super cute and fun movie, and Baymax is everything good in the world. That also deals with some heavy themes. Yeah, I and again, we talked about it a lot last week, but that's something that Disney is just really good at is... Making... Is it a Disney movie? Yeah. Oh, didn't know. It's the it's Disney Animation Studio, so it's not Pixar. Oh, I knew but... it was a Pixar. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. So it's just it deals with like loss of a family member and like your emotional mental health after that kind of thing happens and how you need to like let your friends in to help you catch the guy who did it in superhero costumes. You know, just like the kind of things yeah. that we all face as children. Yeah. <laughs> Of and again, it also has Baymax, who is the most pure and wonderful creature, robot, not a creature, the most pure and wonderful robot that has ever lived. And I was kind of nonplussed to find that I have many similarities to a large, semi-sentient robot. <laughs> like, is it the fact that you can inflate and deflate your body with you know very you're little? Not, you're not supposed to tell people about that. <laughs> no, uh, like the scene where his battery is low and he basically acts drunk and like pets the cat. And my favorite was when they're like going up the stairs and he's like, "Okay, if my aunt asks, we were at school all day." And he's like, "We jumped out a window," <laughs> which is like, <laughs> if you've ever dealt with me when drunk. 
is the kind of thing that I do and say. And he falls up the stairs and then goes to pet a cat, which, what else would you do? Like, it's awesome. But yeah, um, if, so if you haven't somehow taken the time to watch that movie yet, I think that you should because it is super great. And yeah. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm surprised you described it as fun because it made me ball like a child when I watched oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, yes, that too. I did cry. Like, I remember the first time I had it on in the store, actually, I texted Tyler because he had seen it and I hadn't. And I was like, who allowed someone to make me cry with the line, are you satisfied with your care? Like, <laughs> fuck you, first of all. <laughs> How dare you? Tyler's weeping. It's very sad. But yeah, so there are lots of very emotional moments, and also, but it is it is a fun movie overall. Yeah, I yeah. think. <laughs> but yeah, uh, let's see. The other thing that I watched this week. Uh, oh, after we were finished watching a separation, uh, Tyler and I were completely miserable, and we needed something <laughs> to lighten the mood. So we watched, well, I watched half of it. I don't know if you finished watching it, but I, no. had, I had seen the whole thing already. Uh, the Adventure Time miniseries, Stakes. Oh, that I did finish, yes. Okay, yeah. And so I super love Adventure Time. I'm pretty sure I've talked about it on the podcast before. I think it's a really unique and interesting kids show that also like deals with a lot of serious issues while keeping that same like silly tone. And this miniseries was kind of a little bit more serious than anything I've seen them do before. And it deals with Marceline, the vampire queen deciding that she wants to use a cure that she and princess Bubblegum have been working on so that she doesn't have to be a vampire anymore. Because as she says, when she was turned into a vampire, she was just a messed up kid. And now it's been a thousand years and she still feels like she's just a messed up kid. And she wants to like really grow up and appreciate life basically. However, when they apply the cure to her, it accidentally brings back all of the vampires that she spent a thousand years killing and getting rid of. So now they have a non-vampire Marceline on their hands and an infestation of real vampires to deal with. And it does a really good job of dealing with the, like, so the morality of killing, you know, basically your entire species and... Marceline and the Vampire King talk about how they've been around long enough to see that history just continues to repeat itself and that nobody ever changes because everybody, like, they die before they can see the cycle play out again and how, like, they need to build a better world, basically, which for a kid show is pretty, uh, pretty heavy, I feel like. So the theme for most of today is uh, entertainment aimed at younger people. It's serious as hell. Which is good, though. I feel like it's a good thing to have True. programming for your kids that is fun and colorful and silly, but also is going to teach them something, you know? At least in my opinion. But yeah, so it's a really interesting miniseries. It's like eight episodes long. Um, I think you can stream it on the Cartoon Network website, but we watched it on a different website. <laughs> But the right films in is not an advocate of piracy <laughs> or illicit streaming of any kinds. Oh, also pay for your content. Also, there is a in the, throughout the whole series there is yet again the implied thing that Marceline and Princess Bubblegum are totally in love. So in which yes, you can now insert Harold. They're lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> 
I forgot to say it when we were watching it, so I had to I had to bring it out now. <laughs> it was good. It was good. But yeah, so Tyler, what have you watched recently? Oh, well, it's it's funny you ask, Kayla, oh, God. because I have watched some things that are completely and totally dissimilar from everything we've just talked about. <laughs> good. Yay. <laughs> so one thing I have come across is I've made a list of my top films of 2015 that I had seen thus far on Letterboxd, and I had done my best job that I've ever done in terms of seeing content from a single year. But even still, in the past month, I've been catching up with uh, things like Carol and The Diary of a Teenage Girl and The Martian that I hadn't had a chance to see or hadn't been able to see before that I'd include on my list. And I'm finding all these movies that I thought I that I was pretty sure I was going to love and finding I love them even more than I thought I would. One that I finally caught up with that I was not expecting to love was Spike Lee's Chirac. Uh, it is... Chirac is the latest movie from Spike Lee, another director whose recent career has not been as, you know, as successful as some of his earlier stuff. Uh, he's also a pretty fiery character in Hollywood, or in terms of, you know, opinion on him, people's opinions of him, um, which, unfortunately, the comparison I can kind of make is... I don't want to compare him to Kanye West because that seems like comparing the black entertainer to the black entertainer, but the way that people react to him in kind of the same way where Spike Lee will speak on some of these things. And a lot of times people, it seems like people will kind of dismiss him because, Oh, it's just Spike Lee going off again. Um, I don't have, do you two have that impression that he's received that way at all or is that just the way i'm consuming no every literally anytime i mention spike lee to customers at work they're like oh that guy okay he never shuts up (laughs) i agree i think that the the comparison i would make and maybe this is just my circles but and spike would hate this but i'd compare him to quentin tarantino in his mortal enemy he doesn't seem to know when to shut up uh and both make good to great movies and yet they both talk so much and should stop yeah I'd both make good points when they talk sometimes, but they will also, you know, go a lot further (laughs) than they need to or should. Um, So that's kind of, I have not seen a lot of Spike Lee movies. I am not, I am mostly only familiar with Spike Lee in the way that he, he, the, the way that the things that he says and the way that they are received by our main sources of media, even if it's something that's, more benign than like social media um maybe not benign but something that's a little more level that has a little more respect for him like i don't know like vulture or av club sites like that um so i was i didn't, wasn't sure what to expect going to chirac but i heard i listened to film spotting a couple film spotting episodes in which josh larson is huge on this movie he's a big fan and that perked my ears up a little bit and a friend of the podcast, Monica Date, who gets mentioned every other week, <laughs> wanted to see this movie. It was showing for two days. Uh, it was just released on DVD, but it was showing in uh, one of our art theaters for two days. And we went to see it. And I was kind of blown away. I was not entirely sure what to expect. I knew that it was based on Aristophanes, a play by the Greek playwright Aristophanes. I did not realize that play was a comedy and I was not expecting this film to be as 
kind of abs- kind of absurdist, but as funny and as musical as it was, um, there is because part of the reaction was Chance the Rapper, who is yeah. one of the prominent figures in Chicago, hated this movie. He was very upset by this movie, and so I wanted to keep that in mind as well. And I'm not here to say that Chance the Rapper was wrong. Obviously, like this is just my reaction to the movie. Um, this movie deals with gun violence in Chicago and how the women of Chicago fight it by going on a sex strike. Basically that's the, that's the, um, the original Greek play. That was the plot of that. And and Spike Lee applies it to Chicago. Uh, and while it's dealing with this serious subject, it is not positing this as a legitimate way to fight that. Obviously, um, I'm still reckoning with it because there's a lot in play here. Obviously it's a very serious, multiple very serious subjects. And there's a certain amount of, um, you're not entirely sure, especially because it's Spike Lee, how much of it is supposed to be serious and how much of it is supposed to be absurdist. But I'm going kind of long on this because there's a, I'm like I said, I'm still processing it, but it is an incredibly well put together piece of entertainment. Um, it uh, the theater was not super full, which was I was I was a little disappointed by. But Ann Arbor is white as hell, so maybe I shouldn't have been that surprised. Hmm. But even so, there were times that the theater lit up with laughter or just kind of shocked gasps. The movie is very funny. The performances in it are really good. There are a lot of actors that you're going to recognize, which it's awesome that in this really good movie that these like a lot of black actors get chances to shine because as like as you have seen on every website that is not often the case in Hollywood. It it was very musical and I see now why people say Spike Lee should make a musical. The dude very ha- very clearly has a grasp on verse and music and really likes to use it to as part of the as part of his storytelling it's not a score that's in the background and you know swells in the right points to elicit subtle emotional cues it is a very prominent part of the storytelling in this movie partially because a rapper is one of the people involved but it's also just a big thing the entire movie's in verse which gives it even more of a musical quality and Mostly, and I'm echoing Josh Larson on this too because he put it very well on uh, the most recent episode of Film Spotting as we record this. Everybody talks about how there are only so, like, there aren't that many opportunities for black doctors to be nominated. There was Creed and Straight Out of Compton, but not much besides that, things like that. I think it's kind of silly that Chirac was not in the conversation. Because it is a very well-executed film that, while maybe, well, not for everyone, because of its lyrical and and over-the-top nature, there's no reason that this movie couldn't have been in the same awards conversation as some other movies. And the lead actress in it, I'm sorry, I gotta look up her name, I don't know it offhand. The lead actress in it does such an incredible job that retroactively she is one of my favorite performances of the year. She is powerful and fearless, but very much a woman. Like, like you were saying with the 100, she wasn't just a stereotypical strong woman. She was young, but she's still learning. She's kind of like finding herself and finding her way. Tiana Paris. 
she's incredible in this movie and I will be looking out for her in anything she is in the future. I hope she gets some more opportunities because she really crushes in this movie. Nick Cannon is good, which is noteworthy because it's Nick Cannon. <laughs> Samuel Jackson is a blast, which is noteworthy because it's Samuel Jackson, though he is always a blast. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm rambling and going long on this. You rambling and going long? That makes no sense. Well, th- this that has never happened on this podcast. <laughs> ever. So it's less justifiable with the Revenant. That was just <laughs> a screed on how I did not like that movie. Well, I think what it is like when you're saying that, like you're curious as to why it's not in more awards conversations. I, two reasons. I Racism. Can... No, no, no. Well, two reasons I can think of. One, Spike Lee is a very divisive public figure yes and two we kind of talked about it last week with free held and with carol it's kind of uh there can only be one sort of thing like oh we have our certified african-american film of this year yeah. in the running for awards now so everybody else can go away yeah, seeing that, it like how we have our certified lgbt film selection of the year to talk about it's just film spawning was the only place i really heard about it and that's such a shame because and I mean this beyond I personally thought it was a good movie. This movie has enough storylines that uh, storylines that awards lovers uh, awards voters love that could be grabbed onto. It has pedigree. It has uh, kind of um, not, what's the word? It not it's not a gimmick, but it has you know a certain structure that you can use to sell it, and it has incredible performances. And I just think that. No, it, just didn't, it didn't get the respect it deserved. It deserved a lot more respect. It deserved a lot more um, conversation around it. And it's just disappointing that it didn't get any of that. Uh, do either of you know anything more about Chirac? I didn't well, ask. It's, I haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, there's a very... You're making me want to see it a lot more. Um, I live here in Chicago... And the opinion of the movie here in Chicago is overwhelmingly negative. I actually don't I can... know anyone here who is who likes it or who, even if they haven't seen it, are interested in it. And I think the primary complaint is that it, A, it's like a turf war thing, which isn't a good argument, but that Spike Lee, the famous New Yorker and Brooklynite, is making a movie about Chicago's problems. And B, that it sort of puts the onus on solving gun violence on women and just people have have had a lot of problems with that that it's it shows a a misunderstanding of what the problems are here and how they're the systems in place aren't really you know it it just feels like it's making light of what not for me obviously considering (laughs) who i am and where i live but for for (laughs) chicago is a very serious problem that doesn't need a comedy made about it that doesn't actually present any solutions that are real uh, you're making me want to see it. I love love musicals, and I really like a lot of Spike Lee's filmmaking. But just I think that maybe part of it is that politically, again, at least in, here in Chicago, it is persona non grata. And I totally understand why. And I my my dad was born in Chicago, and I've been to Chicago a bunch, but I am not. Chicago. I am not from Chicago. I do not have the attachment or pride of Chicago that a li- someone who lives there would. And I forgot you lived in Chicago. I should have asked you about this sooner. Um, I absolutely understand why people would have problems with the movie, and I am not. I would not minimize those at all because a lot of those co- um, complaints are fair. Um, 
it's okay to like the movie. I'm not. I'm not trying to. Yeah, no, no. Like this is part of my grappling with the movie is because it deals with these things, and there are certain elements of it that are that are definitely worthy of criticism, and like it makes a lot of sense why Chance the Rapper wouldn't like this movie, and I do not blame him at all, especially being, you know, a black rapper from Chicago. The main character, Kanye West was originally going to play the main character in this, by the way. Um, <laughs> I don't know that it would be better with him. Nick Cannon is pretty good, but I, that, that is noteworthy, I feel. Um, I, another thing is, it was a lot more of a critique of men than I expected. And it does put a lot of onus on women, but I the way that Monica and I consumed it was more as a critique of men and uh, specifically heterosexual men and their, and like, and their overwhelming sexual desires. Um, it is very, it is a very heterosexual movie. Um, we kind of made, made asides to each other about how, what if they were gay? And the only comment in the movie made on that is one woman saying, thank God I'm a dyke basically. <laughs> which Kayla <laughs> Kayla just inhaled deeply, which I expected. That is the only comment made in the movie. It is a very heterosexual movie. It is a problematic movie, but it is more thoughtful and more critical of people deserving criticism than I expected based on we are very much in the music scene, and so Chance the Rapper's reaction was one of the most prominent to us based on what I expected going into it. But that's why I had to lead with the caveat. I too, I am a straight white dude from mid Michigan. <laughs> I cannot relate to this movie the way the people of Chicago would. Um, no, no, no. That's I, like I'm, I'm wrapping up. I'm wrapping up. Um, I'm sorry. I went. I did not I'm mean most, to go. Our producer, me, who is not actually a producer, who's motioning from the booth for Tyler to wrap it up. I'm sorry. They're just like this. It's such a complicated movie. I can't wait to read more about it because. Ah, I just it, it is a very enjoyable film experience, but that is coming from people who are not at all criticized or don't have a relation to the movie necessarily. I do think people I do think it should be watched though because it creates that conversation and also it just, God, there's just this movie has so much style and verve to it. It's just it's it feels really alive and fun in a way and it shouldn't necessarily be fun but yeah that's uh so i don't my take on the movie is that holy cow you can have all kinds of takes but it was very exciting hmm. all right yeah so sorry what else did that you was watch? how does Jesus. this happen every week <sighs> every week because <laughs> movies are complicated and there are a lot of different ways to approach them and there are a lot of different discussions that can be had about some of these movies anyway <laughs> Sorry. It's like a night fail. I am making faces at my producer, Daniel, who I have locked in the sound <laughs> Uh Very quickly, I watched Queen of Earth, the latest from Alex Ross Perry, um, another filmmaker who's a little bit divisive, but for different reasons. Uh, it's kind of just his style of filmmaking. So it doesn't work for some people. It does work for other people. Uh, Queen of Earth is about this woman who has come out of a relationship and her father has died. And she ha and she goes on a retreat, kind of, or on a like a summer vacation with her friend. And it flashes back to the previous year. Sometimes in the previous year, the friend was kind of messed up, and um, 
Elizabeth Moss's character had this perfect life, and now the rules have switched. Elizabeth Moss finally is dealing with some turmoil and is kind of falling apart, and her friend is, is kind of coming to grasp with this, is realizing certain things about herself and about Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss's character. And it's just a very fascinating character study and investigation into depression and how it affects us. And more than anything else, it is it is a platform for Elizabeth Moss to be absolutely incredible. She is stunning in this movie, and she keeps getting these time these spots to shine in these like small things that people don't watch, like um, uh, Top of the Lake or this movie. And I really hope she continues to get work that that's this interesting because she's such a fascinating and actress. And I'm not sure there's anyone else quite like her. And also people should watch the short animated film world of tomorrow on Netflix. It's 17 minutes and delightful. A four year old is visited by her future clone. It's very thoughtful about science fiction Ooh. and stuff. We brought it back to space. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, that, that's probably the thing I recommend the most is World of Tomorrow. But yeah, Queen of Earth is a really fascinating movie. There's a good chance if you watch it that you will despise it. But there's also a chance that it will really affect you. And much like today's movie, will just make you think life is pointless. Nothing is okay. Why even bother? And with that, let's talk about a separation. نه خیلی ایشون نه معتاده نه مشکلی داره خیلی هم آدم خوب و سالمی پس برای چی میخواد الان بگیده؟ برای اینکه ایشون نمیخواد با من بیاد منم که شمدی اینجا پیشنهاد بده آقای قادر چیکار کنم؟ پدرش که الان ایشون بخونه کرده من بخونه نکرده پدرش که ایشون خواجه قادر گفتی یه دنیل بیار من اجازه بدارم داشت خوبت بفرمه من الان تکلیفم چی Separation is the 2011 film from Iranian director Asghar Farhadi. It was a huge success. Besides landing on just about every top films of 2011 list that has ever been created, it was even a financial success as well. It, on what's estimated to be about a $500,000 budget, it made $7 million in the U.S. and about $12.8 million abroad, which... Um, we don't always math so good, but is a great rate of return. Not quite all the money, but at a least good half of, of the money. money. Yeah, it is. It is the highest-grossing Iranian film of all time. Mm, bringing that knowledge. <laughs> it also won the. Um, it also won the Oscar for best for. What's the exact one? Best film in a foreign language. Yeah. Best foreign language film. Yeah. Best movie that isn't in English. I've. Looking into Asghar Farhadi, who also did About Ellie and more recently did The the Path? The Past. The Past. The past. Thank you. The, more recently did The Past. Which Every one of his movies seems to be pretty much lauded with the highest of platitudes. It, the lowest movie he has on IMDb is, I believe, his first film, which is a 7.3. Not too shabby. And A Separation specifically is 
currently at 105 in the IMDb 250 with an 8.4 score. It's a 99% tomato meter reading on Rotten Tomatoes with an 8.9 average score. Uh, the audience isn't as high on it, but still a 92% with a 4.3, which comes out to 8.6. And Metacritic 2, similar numbers, a 95 with an 8.8 average score. People love this movie. Um, and we're going to go to Evan in a second. <laughs> but No, I'm going to bring that up later. I'm going to bring that up later. All right. So, Evan, we always start with our guest and how they came to the movie. In this instance, especially, we're going to go to you because you are pro- you know more about Iranian film than probably anyone we personally know, and so tell us about a bit about a separation and when you first watched it, what you think of it in general, and maybe a bit about your relationship with Iranian film in total, and uh, what else you think of Asghar Farhadi's other films. Yeah, absolutely. So I love this movie. Um, I'm one of the many people who love it. Uh, I'm surprised that it's not a higher audience rating. I think a lot of people haven't seen it, but I came to it when it was nominated for uh, Best Foreign Language Film. I think the 2011 Oscars were the first year where I like went out and made a point of seeing all the films. And uh, that's really hard with foreign language films sometimes. Uh, you have to do illegal things that I don't believe in in order to watch them sometimes. And that this podcast does not Does not endorse. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) But I actually saw a separation in theaters. And I just, I remember walking out of that theater uh, with it after that incredible credit sequence that we'll talk about later. Was it like 30 minutes later that you finally were able to walk out? I knew that nothing would ever be the same. Uh, Nothing was the same. Uh, I was in college, and this movie changed my life. That sounds melodramatic, but it's true. I got super into foreign film after seeing this. Uh, it really taught me that, oh, there is, because I've always been a movie lover, but there is so much more out there that I have no idea about. Because uh, I hadn't even thought of Iranian film. Uh, so I got super into all kinds of things as a result of this. I started building my Criterion collection as a result of this. And here we are. So, um, Asghar Fahadi is sort of, it's interesting that he's the public face of Iranian cinema because he's not necessarily considered like one of the great auteurs. He makes more popular fare like this and The Past, which is also partially a French movie. But, you know, the main, the main post-1979 or 1980 cultural revolution Films uh, are made by guys like Abbas Kiarostami or Jafar Panahi, who is very well known because he's under house arrest and he keeps smuggling movies like This Is Not a Film or Taxi out of the country on USB drives and they're being shown at film festivals and people love his courage and he makes great movies. Um, But A Separation and Farhadi with uh, Fireworks Wednesday and About Ellie and A Separation are a bit more more domestic. Um, the thing about a lot of Iranian film is that it plays a lot with, you know, meta aspects of, of docudrama. And often when you watch movies by Kiarostami or Panayi, you're asking yourself, like, is this fiction? Is this some weird... Like, are, are there scripts involved here? Or is he just going out and shooting? And it's that sort of, like, weird fantasia 
that they put you in that I really like. Um, this is sort of like postmodern, like small scale masterpieces. I love them so much. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, please go on. <laughs> uh, whereas a separation is, and we'll get into like talking about the film. I really want to hear your guys' reaction because I've seen this movie so many times. I want to hear like you guys talk about it for a while. But what How I think have is you like, brought yourself to watch it multiple times. <laughs> I lo- this is like one of my favorite movies. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just like the phrase that I would apply to it that I think is most real about this and about the kind of movie it is is that it's about the chaos of morality. It's not a spectrum at which you're not sure which side you should be on. There are so many vortices extending out in every direction and you see the arguments of all of these different sides. And we don't see that a lot with these small domestic dramas. You know, I think of like operatic fair or like even in comics or like breaking bad or the Godfather or something like that, where, Oh, we have a morally gray situation. and You're not sure whose side you're on. I feel like in a separation, you have no idea even where to begin choosing a side because it's just it's presented so empathetically with all these characters and the situation is so personal and so complex and yet in the grand scheme of the lives that we all live fairly simple these are these are conversations that happen unfortunately and these are situations that you could conceivably find yourself in without you know it's just, it's so realistic and i think that's something that it brings from a lot of the films that had come before like a taste of cherry or uh, even a Panay film I'm going to talk about later, Offside, that's just, it, it is very quintessentially Iranian uh, as far as the movies that get exported. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I could go on further, but I, I want to hear about you guys' first experience with this movie, honestly. Well, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to make two notes. Yeah. Um, Maybe maybe things to discuss later. I find it interesting the way you talk about Iranian film and the tendencies of it. It makes me wonder if because um, they don't because of the smaller budgets by necessity and the lack of reliance on you know certain technologies like CGI, if that leads them to be more creative in how they tell stories. Um, I mean that's kind of the argument for indie film in America, mm-hmm. but also you know, the hyper realism of, of it is also interesting because when that happened. When that is used in certain American films, it can come off as more of a trope, or we like label it as mumblecore or something like right. that. Whereas, at, like obviously here, it feels like incredible, like a masterwork, like a like just natural, not not a gimmick. That it's like oh, it's just like real life or something like that. I think because it feels very a, true. I think in American culture, we're so inundated with like this is real life because we have reality television we have based on a true story yeah we have so much of that where when you have something like a mumblecore film that ostensibly posits itself as trying to be more true to life or whatever it comes off like a gimmick because we have so many things that are gimmicky that are based Mm -hmm. on true stories or meant to be reality when we know that they're not also joe swanberg keeps release releasing 12 movies a year and they're all the same movie. Uh, <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> uh, I do want to. I do want to respond to your points real quickly. Just again, I think this is important at the beginning of this discussion. Mm-hmm. Is a we have to like keep keep in mind that when I talk about Iranian film, or that when any Westerners talk about Iranian film, we're really just talking about the movies that make it out of the country. There are mm-hmm. there are blockbusters in Iran. There are so many movies that just don't get distribution over here, and. 
even the ones that do, I have an example, uh, a movie that came out a few years ago called The Last Step, which was actually directed by Leila Hatami, the lead in A Separation. Her husband directed a movie, Ali Mustafa directed a movie called The Last Step. And it played like, I think, three engagements in one in New York, one in Chicago, one in L.A., and never got distribution. This was one of my favorite movies of the year. I am unlikely to ever see it again. It is not popular enough to make it to torrent sites. And uh, I had a friend uh, when she went to Iran a few years ago try to bring me back a DVD, and she lost it. Um, so I will no. never see this movie again. Uh, <laughs> and those are the ones that like even kind of make it over here, but then don't get any distribution. There are plenty of movies that never even make it that far. And I think that's important to consider that like we're only talking about the international picture of Iranian films. That's very true, and that extends into, uh, but especially mine and Kayla's relationship with the movie, in that that's, those statements I made were based on not totally understanding Iranian cinema, or like the culture of Iranian, or Iran, yeah, Iranian cinema. Right. Uh, yeah, why am I saying Iranian? It's like Uranium. Of <laughs> Iranian, <laughs> of the cinema of Iran. <laughs> um, so that was... Those statements were made without fully understanding the full picture of cinema in Iran and just kind of assuming these are the movies get out. These are the big movies. These are the good movies. This is what this re this is representative. Um, I didn't even realize I was making that assumption. And that kind of goes to certain parts of the movie as well, where we're realizing as we watch, especially as coming to this cinema new kind of wrestling with oh is that actually weird is that actually different is that actually uh, does that mean what we think it means or is it just we don't know this culture or in my in what i just said this cinema mm -hmm. well enough to really understand where it stands or how it affects what's happening in the movie um Today, I, find it, oh. I was gonna say it's kind of interesting how my real life, my perception of this movie's place in the culture parallels my perception of things that happen in this movie. Yeah, to that point, uh, just this is sort of getting into the movie, but an example of another thing that it's weird to talk about the culture for us to have to consider is the fact that censorship is a big part of, you know, these movies getting not made, but any distribution at all. They can't even be shown. There are plenty of movies that are, are filmed in Iran, but can't even be shown there because they don't pass the censors. And one of the things, again, about culture is, for example, in Iran, uh, women do not have to wear the chador around their family when they're in the home. But Farhadi, in, in this movie, has to, well, all directors have to, uh, because the film could be seen by male audiences. And therefore, actresses even when they're in the home with their family, have to wear the chador on screen. So Fahari, in making this, always, he does this, like, interesting trick or so, uh, where there is often a strange man in the home. So, for example, for uh, Razier, the, the maid, um, there's the, the grandfather. She cannot take off her chador in front of the grandfather. Or when Nader goes to um, Simin's, I think, sister's house there's the man there fixing the television so all of the women in there have to be wearing that because of this this tv repairman and that's really interesting because they have to wear them anyway you can't make this movie if the women aren't wearing the chador but he works in a, a a plot reason for them to be wearing it and i think that's really interesting because that wouldn't even be apparent to a lot of western audiences who only picture 
you know, Muslim wearing women wearing a chador or hijab, depending on, you know, their, their faith and their culture. Yeah, that was actually a super hot button topic on the message boards on IMDb for this movie. And one, it's infuriating to read some of that stuff sometimes. And I knew going into like researching this movie that there was going to be a lot of racist nonsense spouted mm-hmm. off about it. And yeah, like the first thing that happened was like somebody po- like asked the question like, would these women actually have to wear this all the time in their home? Because, you know, like, you don't know. I probably wouldn't have really realized that even if I hadn't read that in the trivia. And the first response was, like, this dude's 12-paragraph oh, rant God. against Islam. Oh, my God. The evil country that does horrible things to women. Yeah. And just, like, on and on and on. And I'm like, man, dude, they just wanted to know Did if he... they have to wear the headscarf at home. Like, that's all that they wanted to know like they did not need your nonsensical political racist rambling <laughs> like did it's... they get lost or did that dude get lost on the way to the 13 hours forum like oh, God. <laughs> I, don't I don't know but yeah and so we talked about this kind of at length so my first impression of the film going into it was completely wrong because i had no idea that the plot was mainly going to be about this court battle i legitimately thought the entire movie was about you know the separation between nadir and samin same so when all of this stuff started happening i was first of all confused because it was not at all what i perceived the movie to be about and second of all i was i don't want to say more confused but more curious because like we said i there were a lot of things that happened in the movie that i wasn't sure if i was confused or upset about them because the things that happened were confusing and upsetting or if i was you know an outsider like looking at this from a very western perspective because obviously for me it is like having to wear a headscarf is not something that i would think about or for instance when razia calls the the church to ask Mm -hmm. if it's okay for her to bathe the grandfather like for me like i I don't want to say that it's bizarre because obviously i understand like a decent amount of like the islamic religion but like at the same time to me i'm just like oh my god like is that really something that is that much of a conundrum that you have to call to ask if it's okay but like i don't know because like we don't really view things from such a very religious perspective, I don't think. Like, I would never think to call my childhood pastor to find out if it's okay for you to live with me. Or even if we did, like, if there's a sin involved, it's not as big of a deal to commit a sin here, regardless right. regardless of what your religion is, for the most part. Western religion is very much about doing and then asking for forgiveness later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, I just... My initial perception of the plot was off, and then I had to continue to analyze the rest of how I was viewing the movie because I very much didn't want to just be like, well, this is weird. I don't understand it. And I also didn't want to kind of like, even though like nobody aside from the people who listen to this podcast would ever know, I didn't want to barge in with like, well, this was super weird and bizarre. And then find out that it was actually something completely normal for the culture. 
because you don't like you don't want to come in and we want to like, bring a certain amount of intelligence to our podcast about these movies right. yeah well that's and also i don't want ourselves on yeah and i also don't want to be an insensitive asshole basically who like why can't you do that in your norm- regular everyday life <laughs> well because like i mean obviously like we talk about feminism and stuff a lot on the podcast and we talk about a lot of things that like how women are treated in film and so when you come into a culture where women are treated completely differently than they are here it's a lot more difficult to talk about i think so that well is my rambling perception (laughs) uh i think that that's a totally for western audiences it makes sense for us to balk at her calling uh to ask religious advice if she could do this that's very stark and that's very different um but i think that that's one of the elements the movie is playing with that razia isn't just you know religious and living in an Iranian Islamic culture, she is extremely religious. And it is very important to her where it's clearly less important to Nader and Samin. Uh, uh, Islam is not as much a, a part of their daily life. It's just also, it's the roots of their culture. Whereas Razia and Hojat, who are also, you know, a lot lower class than Nader and Samin, it is, their religion is much more important to them and money is a bigger issue for them. And that's sort of one of the contrasts that, we don't know how if I mean Simeon wouldn't have to work as a maid considering she's you know a teacher, but if she was in that position, would she have would she feel the same internal conundrum about needing to contact a religious figure, or is it just because Razia her her faith is so important to her? And I think that's one of the contrasts the movie is playing with. I think it's also interesting that while her faith is clearly super important to her, she also does end up lying about a lot of things. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's like the lesser of two evil. Like, the whole, yeah, the whole movie does such a good job of playing with like the intricacies of that gray area morality. She's trying to do what she has to to help her family. Right. But she's also trying to sin as little as possible. But she has to do some of these. She she doesn't tell her husband that she's working there because that would be kind of – it would be kind of a stain on his pride, which the pride is a big thing in this movie. Right. But – uh. That is the, le- but she also still has to provide for her family. But there are certain things that are like a step too far. Like she has to provide for her family, but she's not going to do it at the cost of her immortal soul. Like that's a big thing. Like right. when religion is so important to someone, there are all those shades of gray in terms of like trying to survive, but it can only go so far when you think you're endangering your immortal soul. Right. Cause at that point, like, what's the point of surviving if you're going to you know, <laughs> yeah. give that up. And there is, I think the film coming from the outside, but like it, the film seems to deal with that very intelligently with the, with religion and how it's less lax with some people and stronger with other people. And it also treats the religion with a certain, with a lot of respect, which it probably has to because of well, censorship. But and all I, that. I like that too, though. I like oh, that yeah. Razia isn't paint. Cause and maybe this is another, like, Western thing, but if you had a woman like that in an American film, it would very very much be played off as, like, oh, we're supposed to feel sorry for her because she's so oppressed by this religion that she can't, like, do her job or whatever. Or we're supposed to think, what is wrong with this woman? Why is she lying? Why can't she just, like, why? Right, know, and I think it does a... a why obvious... can't she just tell the truth? And Exactly. Why and she's so dumb? I like having to approach it from having no. no choice but to put myself in her shoes and understand her rather than see her as something, like, foreign. Right. And, um, 
kind of going off that, so a lot of, like, obviously a lot of our interpretation of this movie, every way, everything we interpret about this movie, everything we take in from this movie has to be run through that filter of we are not of this culture, we are trying to understand this culture more as we watch it, but even with having to take that consideration, this movie kind of surpasses all of those things. Farhadi does such a great job putting this movie together at least from the foreign pers- perspective that it's not just it like, no matter how you watch it you aren't just thinking wow look at this culture it's so different it's crazy how these things unfold it he creates this it feels true to life but it, it generates so much empathy for everyone involved every single person has reasons for how they act and each of them is just trying to do their best or doing what they have to for their family and it generates this great empathy for even even the husband who comes off as more irrational it shows you he has a certain amount he he has depression he has to take pills for it he's poor and owes a bunch of money to people and we can understand that that is a great amount of stress and that is going to have a strong impact on how he reacts and also as far as he knows and this is getting into you know kind of spoiler territory which we don't worry too much about but you never know with people listening he does not know that his wife was hit by a car he legitimately thinks he lost his child because this man pushed his wife and that also that influences how we see him we have empathy for her because she is trying to provide for her family but also trying not to hurt her husband who is already hurting so much and from uh samin and nadera's perspective samin wants what is best for her family and also she doesn't know what happened she knows he put he she knows he knew about the baby she knows he pushed her but also knows that she's also wrestling with what happened and what's best for their child and he's wrestling with his pride and like he's trying there's a certain amount of like self he's watching out for himself he has he has his pride and his dignity, and he will not sacrifice those because those are very important to him. Well, not but, only that, I think he refuses to admit, like, he doesn't want to admit that he could have possibly been involved in something, like, so horrible, you know? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. He doesn't think that he did. He's, he's making his case. He's saying, I didn't do it. But I think that, and maybe this is just having seen it so many times, there is doubt there. Because he, he doesn't know why she had a miscarriage, and he does know that he was very upset with her, probably rightfully so, for... Tying, tying his father to yeah, that's the bed. Right. Like, well, so... He is very upset, and he does close the door on her. But he doesn't think he did anything wrong, you know? And... So a question that I did have about this, since you've seen it so many times, we were a little bit confused throughout watching, and I wonder if it was more of like a subtitle translation error, because they kept referring to it as like he beat her or he hit her. And yeah. I don't know if that, that was maybe just them like being hyperbolic or if it was something that maybe was, again, just, like, kind of lost in translation, because I don't recall him hitting her. I do, like, he grabbed her, and he did, like, push her out the door, but I wouldn't refer to any of what happened as, like, him beating her. And they maybe exaggerate how he pushed her, but she never says, like, she never says he hit her, just that he pushed her harder than maybe he actually did. Yeah, but Hoja is really, really adamant that, like, oh, he beat my wife and all this stuff. I think, again, I'm not sure... That is the problem with this, is that 
you know, we are watching it in translation, and we may def- technically have different subtitles. Which, just a side note, it's amazing to me this was nominated for Best Screenplay. I want to know how that goes about, considering, like, I, I assume they didn't read the screenplay. They would have read, like, a translated version. It's interesting. Right. I'm assuming it's being impressed with how, like, what I was going on about, how he's able to have all these four characters involved, and every one of them has done something maybe wrong or, like, something that's angers someone that, that, that something that <laughs> yeah. angers someone else but also the each are trying to do their best and have this empathy he's watched he's walking such a thin tightrope and the fact that all through the movie you never once hate any of the characters you might not understand them but you're kind of there with each and every one of them and understanding why they are doing what they're doing throughout the whole thing and that is impressive it is so hard for any piece of entertainment, any creation, every piece, any piece of writing, to actually have that, to have these four characters who are all at odds with each other in some way, and to be on each of their sides somehow. Yeah. Regarding the the hit her beat her, I think that I think you're right that he doesn't he definitely doesn't hit her. He pushes her, and he pushes her in anger, and we don't really know whether that's how I mean because Razia is spinning a lie about him being the cause of the miscarriage. We don't know if that's telling, that's her telling Hojat that that's what happened, or if it's Hojat, who not only is prone to rage, is also mentally ill, is just spinning out of control and just trying to make this case that, no, you killed my child, uh, and yeah. is therefore exaggerating for the sake of that. We don't really know, and I think that's interesting. Is it part of Razia's lie, or is it part of Hojat's spinning out of control? I think it's interesting, too, because another thing that we've noticed about Razia lying is that she often, I feel like she's like almost laying breadcrumbs in a way. Like when she tells the landlord, like the landlady, oh, sorry, I got dizzy and I dropped the trash bag, even though it was her daughter who took the trash out. And later she then says, oh, I didn't take the trash out. My daughter did. Mm -hmm. And the landing lady is like, wait a minute, that's not what you told me. And I wonder if, again, like, I feel like she's either laying breadcrumbs or she's told so many small lies that she kind of starts to forget, like, which ones she told. Yeah, I don't think she's good at lying. I think that's part of her problem is that (laughs) she she, she wants justice for this miscarriage uh, and she doesn't want to be seen as culpable because it is kind of her fault that she was hit by a car. Uh, but she doesn't know how to go about doing this, and so it creates this whole mess where everyone's lives are basically ruined uh, as a result of it. And I think that's yeah, I think that's part of it. That like, if she was a better liar, I think this ends differently. Right, and not even like yeah, I just. I remember, too, when we get to the scene where she's like, I was hit by a car, we were like, oh, my God, right. Because, <laughs> like, they don't show it on screen. You don't, like, you literally don't know until she says it out loud. Oh, I think it's so brilliantly done that, like, she sees him across the seat, and we see her in traffic, and we're like, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> like, be careful there. And then it just cuts away to, like, you know, her being back. We don't see that happening. And then she faints on the bus a couple scenes later. And that doesn't make any sense at the time. She's pregnant, you know, like... Yeah, well, you just, yeah, you just assume it's because she's tired because she's pregnant and working. <laughs> like, That's what I was going to remark upon is how in how ingenious that was. Because so much of what we thought about this movie is how it's like investigation into human nature and it's empathy for these people and the, the script and all these things. But that 
this that's the structure of that scene specifically its placement in the movie and how it calls back to that in the end i think is ingenious because you are like in the moment when you don't know anything that's coming next you are terrified for her and for the grandfather because I don't know how to we explain know, it, but, like, those cars... Scenes, yeah, we know how scenes like that play out in movies. We're, like, conditioned from an early age that, like, if you're in a movie and you're running around and there's cars, someone's probably going to get tragically hit by a car. And he's also filming it in a way that, like, the cars seem to be going really fast. And it oh, that's... seems to be... It's setting you up for this bad thing that's going to happen, and the bad thing happens, but it doesn't tell you that. And it it doesn't hide it from you necessarily it's not a trick it's not like a twist it shows you the effects of that and it affects everything that happens after that you just don't have that knowledge quite yet and when it happens it's a light bulb and i just think that the way he structured that specific plot point and it's it, it how it happened and it's reveal is super impressive because it is incredibly effective yeah just anecdotally uh i have never been to tehran but one of my best friends has spent a lot of time there. And she remarks often when we watch Iranian film together that the traffic in Tehran is insane and it is dangerous and it is ridiculous. And so I think that's just a depiction of how crazy it is to drive there too. So if you have the added context that like drive like the streets of, of Tehran are very dangerous places, then adding that onto what she's doing is even scarier. Another thing that I really struggled with throughout the movie was the depict like all of the courtroom scenes mm-hmm. because for courtroom. me courtroom yeah you know what it, the the room where they talk to a judge and nothing else really happens but yeah um it it was super frustrating for me because while i feel that yes nadir did something wrong and that like if he pushed her and she miscarried like that's horrible and like that's obviously horrible but at the same time she tied his very ill, very old father to a bed yeah. and basically kind of left him to die. And, well, and, like, didn't I leave him like to die, but left he, him. He almost died. And never explains until, like, near the end why she did that. Yeah. And Yeah, and so for me, it's just, like, I, it was almost, I felt like that was never touched on enough like yes maybe nadir did this terrible thing but that's all hearsay we have literal actual proof that she did do a horrible thing and i just feel like it's so often like that was completely glossed over by the judge or by like well and i feel and i feel like a lot of it was maybe like hojat's bravado in like being very much able to be like well you killed my child and yeah 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 and like nadir was trying to take like the more calm approach to it but I just, for me, a lot of the movie was like, why can't we just admit that we all did terrible things yeah. to each other and just be like, well, you committed a crime and I committed a crime, so we'll just call it a wash and go on with our lives, you know? Well, yeah, and I'm sorry I'm talking so much. No, uh, it's totally fine. <laughs> I, think, I think you're totally right noticing that. I think that on one level, the difference is she didn't actually kill the grandfather. Uh, this This unborn child is now dead. And therefore, if that is, if, that is going to be considered murder, which this film tells us that it is, uh, then that is more severe than almost murder. Right. On the other hand, I think you're right noticing that, like, Nadir's rhetoric is way different than Hojat's. And we see that from the opening scene, where Samin is is yelling. Uh, We should talk about that opening scene, actually, too, in a bit. But Samin is, like, yelling and frantically making her plea, and Nadir's like, 
no, I don't want her to go. I don't want this to happen. And the same thing in the courtroom scenes with Hojat and uh, Razier is that he's very calm and he's very quiet and he's not, he's not like rolling over and like letting himself be prosecuted. But for example, when Hojat uh, is being taken away and Nadir leaves in and is like, no, it's okay. She can go like take care of this. Like don't, you don't need to be vindictive on my account. Right. It's, like that's just kind of like the way that he wants to, to handle this. He wants to, it's about his pride and not about him dominating, you know, this family. I think a lot of, yeah, I think a lot of the, the disparity between the way that Nader and Simeon handle it is super interesting as well. Because if you think about it, really, like, Hajat and Razia are ruining their lives, like, costing them millions of dollars, um, like, driving a further wedge into their relationship. And... I just feel like throughout the whole film that despite everything, they're very gracious to them. Like Samin goes and speaks with Razia and with Hojat several times of her own accord. And she never is like blaming them. She's usually like, okay, she's usually, she is more along the lines of, okay, how about we work out a settlement? How about we come and we speak? And how about I do this and we will all just go about our lives after it's over. And I feel like in an American court battle over something like this, that would never happen. It would all be about, like, we have to ruin these people's lives because they're trying to ruin our lives. You know, like, it's, I feel like it's, yeah. they're much less vindictive. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think you're right. I also think, uh, just something about that, and I do want to talk about where, like, all these characters, where you end up on all these characters, mm-hmm. but Simeon does sort of see this as an opportunity to get an upper hand in the divorce. Like, she does use the bail as, like, a, well, look at you. You're on trial. Like, let me take our daughter. Like, right. can you see yourself? What's going on? So I think that there is something opportunistic about that. But you are right that it is weird. And I think that's more of a cultural thing. That, again, partially the class difference, that they're middle class and they see themselves as, like, I think they see themselves as, like, above the squabbling of this. But also, I think, like, a, an Iranian and, you know, the Islamic culture of respect is, I think, is part of that, too. Yeah, and another yeah, even another thing that we grappled with too was like the idea that you could go to jail for years over like causing someone to accidentally miscarry because for for me particularly and we talked about this a little bit like as the movie was happening, I was like it's really hard for me to kind of think of a 4-month-old fetus as like I mean like obviously it's sad that she miscarries, but it's hard to think of it as, like, this huge, crazy loss. And, like, one of the aunts or the mom says that, too, later. She's like, it's not like we murdered your 18-year-old son. Like, just try again next year. Yeah. I will say that America's not totally different from that in that you have some woman (laughs) who try to, like, give themselves abortions in the state, but who are put on trial for murder. Yeah. So there is a certain element of that. Sanctity of life um, is like its whole other like wormhole. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to touch on it too much, but it was just, it was just like another, like another thing to be like, Oh, like, is this, do I feel like this is overkill or overreaction because it is, or because of my perception of that kind like that stage of life, you know? And also two quick points on Samin and Nader. Note that Nader, because of his dignity and like his pride, not just dignity, pride, like because that's both with the divorce and this legal case, his pride is such a huge element. He does not lie because he could lie about certain things and probably make himself look a lot better or make things easier for himself. 
but he is too proud to do that. He's too like too right to do that. Although to be fair, he does completely lie about knowing that Razia was pregnant. Ah, true. He tells Terma later that Ooh, he knew that's... that he overheard. That is a weird. That's a, that's complicated though because yeah. I think if the case he makes to the court right is like, well, yes, I knew, but in that moment I did not know, and like I've been mad before. I have temporarily forgotten information because yeah. not because I walked in on my father being tied to the bed and on the floor, but like I have been angry and like information about someone. And I have said things that I didn't mean, for example. And I think that he's, we can, again, he's wrong, but we can empathize with, or at least I can with that moment of being like, Oh, well, I mean, yes, she was pregnant, but when I was trying to get her out of my freaking apartment, I didn't think she about her pregnancy. You know? I think, yeah, I, I think I can relate to that, too, though. Like, <laughs> there are definitely times when I get very passionate in the middle of an argument, and I will say things that I probably would not normally say, <laughs> like, or, like, miss, I don't know, just, yeah. yeah, it makes, it makes sense. There's also the moment where, um, Jose, uh, what's, Hojet, uh, Hojet, uh, he almost goes to prison for contempt of court, basically, Yeah, and... Nader talks, uh, he says to the, um, I don't know, the magistrate, basically, our equivalent of that, uh, he basically tells him, hey, kind of have mercy on them, don't do this, and think how much different the story would unfold if he was in prison for those days and wasn't at the school, threat like, being threatening, but to the daughter, the teacher, and that stuff, and there's no way he could have known that in the, that moment, but it is it comes back to the his pride and not being as concerned about winning the case, but kind of maintaining his pride and trying to be a decent person. Just like person. proving himself, yeah. And yeah. I think it's also interesting because while his whole thing is like he wants to be a better person, he also then forces his daughter to lie for him in court. Yeah. Because she knows. I think he's getting more desperate at that point too yeah, and what... he's kind of caught in the lie the one lie he did allow himself right and I think it's interesting that she just picks up on that and just goes along with She's it smart kid. well yeah smart but I mean kid. well and it's also like you don't want to see your dad go to jail I'm assuming I don't think anybody would no. but she also is very adamant that she doesn't like that he lied so that scene was really tense for me because I was really unsure of like, how she was going to react and what she was going to do yeah and for Samin, we talked about how she, or we mentioned how she was kind of opportunistic, and the movie at one point does almost like it's part of that tightrope act because you almost turn on her a bit because like now of all times you're doing this, but she also wasn't there, and all she knows is that her husband pushed her, and that that she mis that Razier miscarried, but that is all she knows. She doesn't know. I'm sure, because it's a fact that she miscarried for some reason. It's a fact that he pushed her, but everything besides that, how hard he pushed her, if that's the reason, is all kind of in doubt. And she was already estranged, estranged from her husband. And so we don't get as much time with her as I expected going into the movie. And so we don't get as much of her thought process as we do some of the others. And how, what she thinks of her husband, what she thinks of his possible, maybe not guilt, but responsibility in this situation. And I, I, I just think that it, it is interesting that we don't get quite as much from her. And it kind of colors the fact, like, 
whether we think she's being opportunistic or not. Well, I think that, yeah, I think you're 100% right. I think that every time I watch it, I come away with a different impression of all these people. Uh, and I think that I just rewatched it last night in preparation for this. And this this watch through, I thought of her as being more manipulative than I usually do. I think my first time, again, when I watched this for the first time in theaters, I didn't have all this additional context. And I think on the first time, I was very much on her side, and I really wanted... I really empathize with her wanting to get out of the country and to take her daughter. Uh, but even in the beginning, she's like, she's in this whirlwind of talking about, you know, don't you want a better life for our daughter? And Nadir's like, well, I don't want to be away from my daughter. Why are you obsessed with splitting us up? And she's like, I'm not, you just won't come with me. And it's just like, it's just, it's this argument tactic that's very ineffective. She even says at one point, like, I want her daughter to have a future. Nadir doesn't want her daughter to have a future. And the judge is like, in the very beginning when it's just on their two faces is just like, Oh, so she can't have a future in Iran. Is that what you're saying? All the children of this country are doomed. <laughs> That's the first thing. <laughs> Which I actually loved that by the way. Yeah. And so we just be like, Oh, well, of course I'm not saying that. That would be a terrible argument. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and again, I think maybe repeated viewings give you a better like understanding of her because we've only seen the movie once. And also again, like we're pretty well socialized to feel that women in countries like Iran and Iraq should leave the country if they want to have a good life. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's always necessarily true, but it's really easy to like, look at her trying to leave the country and trying to take their daughter to like better her and be like, yeah, yeah. Andrew, like, duh, like totally, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and not to really be able to see it from Nadir's perspective so much. Right. Cause Nadir really doesn't want the family to break up. <laughs> the only reason this is happening is because, Samin is like, come with me. And he's like, I, I can't. My father needs me. Right. Uh, and I do think it's good also, though, that we don't necessarily, like, they love each other very much, clearly, and they obviously care about each other very much. And in a way, I kind of like that, like, I thought that the movie was going to be about them separating and about them, you know, falling out of love. And in a way, I'm kind of glad that we don't have to deal with that on top of everything else, because yeah. this movie is an exhausting experience. And I think also being like, well, also we aren't in love anymore would be just like another horrible thing to deal with. Though it's plenty tragic that they're separating despite, you know, True. there's there's a version <laughs> of their relationship that works out. And unfortunately, this isn't it. And that's that's pretty tragic in its own right. Right. And well, I was going to remark upon how. Uh, as we go into repeat viewings, we know what's going to happen, but she still does it. Like she still has that lack of knowledge the entire time. And she is the one, like the, she's making efforts. Uh, they kind of undermine on, in some ways they do undermine her husband, but in other ways there is a chance he's going to be guilty and she might be saving him with some of these efforts. Uh, like if it doesn't come out about the car crash and all of that, like, her getting him to pay might be saving him from one to three years in prison and like and, kind of yeah, completely assuming, ruining his name. Exactly. I'm assuming that would be a pretty big stain yeah. on your family name like, like for the rest of forever. Yeah. Paying like, the money might stain the, fam <laughs> stain the family name too, but I'm sure one to three years in prison is an even bigger deal. Well, cause... is that not the idea of blood money though? Is that you pay it and then it goes away? Right. <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, I'm not sure. Because that's the, so that's the original mm -hmm. thing, like the pound of flesh or whatnot is mm -hmm. like, we take care of the value of what we have mm -hmm. lost and then we just go our separate ways and we don't think about it. Well, I mean, like obviously they will think about it again, but they don't like, they're not going to continue to be out to ruin each other's names because the value was 
They just want the restitution. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Another thing to consider with to consider with Samine, and this becomes more and more pronounced towards the end, is she wants to leave, yes, but she also wants him to want her to stay, and he won't admit, he won't say that he wants her to stay. He's just all he says is that he won't go and that he can't go. He never asks her not to go, and. In some ways, that might mean seem like semantics, but I think it's kind of a big deal. Like that's, like that is a way of expressing love and appreciation, and you know, and desire in many ways. Like he won't admit that he wants her to stay at any point. Well, but also I feel like it is a testament for his love for her is that he does want her to stay, but he doesn't want her to feel like she has to. So I think really what it is, is just a fundamental lack of communication. She wants him to express that he wants to stay and he doesn't want her to feel trapped by his desire for her to stay. And then as a result, neither of them, as a result, (laughs) neither of them are saying what they really feel, which leads to neither of them saying anything, which leads to me wanting to toss the TV out the window. Yep. God, <laughs> the whole last like half hour of that movie, I was just like, uh... "Is it oh, like?" And not like necessarily in a bad way because I really did love this movie, but there was just we so much. I was just, by the end. I was just ready for it to be done because it was such like an a tumultuous experience and such a draining time like watching it and like especially but it because... was so good and none of it was superfluous it was like all felt necessary it was just right like i wouldn't actually cut any of it out but yeah i don't know and maybe a lot of it too is because like my parents are divorced and like i have lived through my parents like fighting over custody of us and like in the end it wasn't quite the same like i didn't like we didn't have to choose who to live with for various reasons but it was just, I like, a lot of that really rang true to me. Like, just the feeling of, like, watching your parents separate and watching them fight and not really understanding why they can't just talk to each other and why they can't just, you know, deal with it because they're grown-ups and you're a kid. Like, it's, it's, I don't know, that part of the movie is tremendously affecting as well, and we haven't really talked about it. Yeah, so I just wanted to, I wanted to touch on it. <laughs> yeah, can we talk about the ending now? Is that? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, just for the listener, uh... The movie ends with this This situation goes away because it turns out that she was hit by a car and therefore Nadir is, is fine. And then it flash forwards a little while later. The, the grandfather has died there in mourning and they're back in the court and they're asking their daughter, Terame, to choose who she wants to be with, uh, who, she's, who should get custody of her, what her opinion is. And she asked them to leave the room. And so we see Nadir and Sabine leave the room and sit in the hallway while Terme is telling the judge her choice. And then the credits start to roll. And it doesn't it doesn't freeze or anything. We watch them awkwardly sitting in that hallway and things are happening and court cases are happening and there's yelling. And we just watch the credits roll and it's just it's so numbing. It's it's one <laughs> of you say something. Please say something. It's horrible. And I don't I mean I don't know if I've ever come to a conclusion about who she chooses. I don't know if I I don't know if it matters that much. Uh, this is like the inception thing where it's like I don't think like don't what think what the counts. ending is doesn't matter. <laughs> like it, whether the top falls or stands, whether one of them says something, who she chooses, that's not really what matters. That's not the that's that's not the ending of the movie or the story. Like the the mystery of it is kind of the point. Is that? <sighs> it hurts so yeah. much. 
I, I don't think I would actually it's feel... It's also the right ending. It's right, like the I don't, right ending. I just, I wouldn't feel any better knowing who she chose because in the end, like, there's not really a clear winner. Well, see, like, I wasn't thinking about who she chose, like, who she chose, but more, is one of them going to say something? Because it's building more and more to, especially with the, the, the father being dead, it's like, they're just, that lack of communication again. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not it wasn't the father holding them apart or driving them apart it was that lack of communication and would they say anything was really what uh, for me drove the tension of those final moments and you know what else actually now that i think about it so we haven't touched on this at all in, ta- in our entire conversation a big part of the conflict between Adair and razia was that he accused her of stealing the money mm, from yeah. his bedroom and that's really what kind of sets off this whole like stubborn right. refusal to like compromise with each other is because she is so devout religiously that she doesn't want to admit to stealing but so touching on like nadir and samin's refusal to communicate if they had just talked to each other he would know that she took the money to give to the movers when she was leaving like if they had just talked about it at any point like if he had ever even mentioned to her because if you think about it he never mentions it to her either the whole thing is focused on him trying to prove that he didn't cause her miscarriage but they don't really touch on him accusing her of stealing the money and if he had talked to samin about it she could have just been like oh no i gave that to the movers when i was leaving because i didn't have enough money to cover it i kind of love that the movie doesn't like have that explanation not from like a not for the sake of their communication but we watch her take the money out and give it to the movers and there's this it's a very like fluid deft filmmaking move uh to like have this weird setup where they're moving the piano and you're like what is happening here and it's not relevant for us the movie except that we watch her give them the money and i think that's really fascinating because they don't talk about it because they're they just need to talk because they love each other and they deserve better than this. Uh, but he, he shows us everything, and I think that's fascinating. I also, this is a small point there, I enjoyed because as I have taken other, lang- like, uh, learned other languages like Spanish, the difference between here, the ground floor and the first floor are the same thing, whereas in certain other countries and languages, the ground floor is one floor, the first floor in their language is what we would call the second floor, second floor the third floor and all that and that seemed to be what was happening with the piano mm-hmm. was that kind of miscommunication but i don't know the language to know whether that was a language mis- like a miscommunication language or just like a you know a, your regular like they just didn't want to move the piano right the down. Yeah. <laughs> um but and i also like that last scene is so incredible and perfect but it also serves as a bookend and a reminder of how great that first scene is. Yes. Too. Like, Where they're just yelling. The, yeah. those, those are that those two scenes are among the best first and last scenes I have seen in a movie. Like in just in the last year of what I've seen, Phoenix had one of the best final, uh, oh, yeah. final scenes of a movie of the year. And that, and a separations final scene are probably two of the, like might be the top two of movies I've seen recently. Yeah. Regarding that that opening, it's just it's one continuous shot of them making their cases into the camera. So like they're they're making their cases to the judge because we hear the judge, but they're also kind of making their opening arguments to you as the viewer. And it's just one continuous shot, and the acting is so good. And eat your heart out in your e two. That's way better than the fight scene uh, at the end of the <laughs> Revenant. It's just one continuous <laughs> shot, which is sure that's impressive, but the acting here is so good that like I don't need. Inuritu's stunts when I have Farhadi's stunts. I will that's, never be free. That's another thing, and that I just want to. So 
the thing about this movie, like from the hyper realism I mentioned earlier to that first scene where it's continuous take and done into the camera, when Farhadi does these things, they these are things that without the right person could be gimmicks or could be just trying to be flashy, you know, or just doing the thing just to do the thing just because you can. It feels right here. Like it works. It is like the best way to do it. And that's like, and that's something you don't really realize until you talk about it or you see examples of the opposite. And that's part of the, was, that was what my, without going too deeply, that's my problem with the revenant. That is the other side of it where you're doing these things and they, in some circumstances, they added some things in that movie, but a lot of the time it's just distracting and it's just doing it just because you can, just to show you can. And it's impressive, but it subtracts from the movie. Whereas here it is everything he does is right for the movie and it just like, i don't think it just works he's just better well he's just like a masterful filmmaker and like again we talked about this i, 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 I feel I, comfortable saying that after one movie too I, like, and i mean i'm just saying clearly. like inurito is one of my favorite directors and there are a lot of his movies that i love wholeheartedly and i was really happy last year to see birdman kind of get the recognition because i felt like he deserved to have a moment however <laughs> i also feel that like he usually will do, like, a good movie, and then the next movie he'll be like, well, I did all these things in this last movie, so I can turn it up to 11 here and do more of it. Which is, like, you have that with Birdman, and you this have came it up with... in our last podcast, too, with Nicholas Winding Refn. <laughs> well, yeah, and so, well, yeah, so, yeah, that's... I think that um, in this film, they have the tendency, like, they know what they're doing, and they're doing it in an appropriate manner that make sense for the film and then they leave it be like we don't have another million shots of them arguing directly into the camera we don't have like a lot of super continuous shots where we are just forced to follow along and hope that everything turns out okay like they use everything in the appropriate time effectively and then let it rest and then they move on to the next thing i think editing is really good one of you i don't remember who sorry said earlier about how uh it didn't nothing felt superfluous and that, like, it was... I feel like this movie flies by, honestly. Like, it's two hours, but I'm captivated for every moment of it because I'm being... I don't feel like I'm being dragged along, you know? Right. Yeah, okay there, Kayla? If... Yeah, it was a yawn. <laughs> okay. I don't know if, uh, if this will... Like, so, for you, Evan, this... so it sounds like this movie maybe gets a little easier to watch. I wasn't, sh... I wasn't sure because it's punishing... Or like it's it's difficult. It is it runs you ragged, but it's not necessarily punishing in the way some movies like Requiem for a Dream is always the go to. In the way that that movie is, where you never want to watch it again. Um, I didn't I didn't get the punishing feeling from this movie, but I do wonder when I watch it again, will I feel just as emotionally torn? Will it get easier to watch? Will it be just as hard or harder to watch? Like. It, it seems easier for you, but I might just be interpreting it. I mean, I've also seen it enough times. I think probably the first time was the hardest, yeah. And it's still I mean, it's still very emotionally affected. <laughs> Last night, I was still very emotionally affected by it. Uh, but I can now, I think, take a step back and appreciate different things about it now that I'm less, you know, in the tumult of their lives. I can appreciate, like, how Farhadi is heightening the quotidian and how the acting performances are all spectacular. Uh, even the daughters, we haven't talked about uh, Somaya yet, the youngest daughter of Razia, who is just fantastic and she's adorable. And she's like the crux of the lie. It's her telling Nadir that uh, sh- her mother went to the doctor that causes Nadir to talk to Samin, that causes Samin to talk to Razia. 
And I think her performance is great. She's probably like five years old, if even. That's true. Also, I feel like this movie does as um like another like a final point. I feel like they do a good job with laying down not like these kind of red herrings, like we at first don't know about the car. We hear about uh, from the art from the teacher. She talks to Samaya, and it is then insinuated that perhaps Hojat has pushed or like hit Razia, and he was the one who caused her to miscarry. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, and so it kind of paints our perception of him as a person. And it turns out that like he's just like kind of an angry dude with a mental illness. Like he's not necessarily violent. I don't think. No. He's, and so. Yeah. But that seed is planted in our minds, and so for the rest of the movie, until we find out about the car, like, that was where my main focus was. I was like, dude, he totally, he did it. He pushed her, and now they're both, like, in on this together, because she doesn't want to, like, dishonor him by, like, admitting that he beat her or whatever, you know? There's just so much to this movie. There's so much mystery, so much empathy, so much, like, investigation, Mm -hmm. uh, so much stuff. Kind of like burrowing into the human psyche and human <laughs> nature and why we do the things we do and how we relate to each other. It's, God, it's just, it is, like, I, I don't know if we're coming to the end yeah. here, but it's just, I, lo- I love this movie, even as it made me want to throw my TV out the highest window I could find. <laughs> and I'm so glad I watched it. I want to dive into more, not only more of his film, but hearing you talk about other Ar- Iranian film try like getting into more of that like jafar panahi yeah um panahi and just oh god because that was an incredible experience like i love foreign film but iranian film is not one i had gotten into and finding god this is why it's important important capital i important (laughs) to watch and embrace foreign film this is true (sighs) i have heard i mean as i've worked at a video store for many years i have heard in different ways a thousand times the idea that any film not in english is not worth watching oh god if i could erase any like i like to let people have their opinions for the most part but like if i could erase any horrible awful opinion from the world it would probably be that one because it's just you miss out on so many things and it's a way to learn about other cultures too we're not exposed to other cultures a lot and even in a fictional tale there's a lot of truth there there's about like we learn a lot about other cultures by how these movies are made and it might not always be accurate it might be or it might be bigger or smaller than it actually is because we talk about the censorship and um wearing the hijab and all that but it's it's exposure to these other cultures and it's expanding your mind and all these other important yeah and it's also (laughs) much better to see it from like their own perspective than to have like i don't know you know a terrible racist depiction in an american film and try to like understand it through that because you're never going to be able to Okay, so it sounds like we're wrapping up. Evan, do you have any final points? Uh, no, not really. I'm glad that... I mean, I wouldn't say you guys enjoyed this movie, but... That... <laughs> I, I did, weirdly <laughs> enough. <laughs> that you love I... this movie, uh, and it sounds like I I helped bring something new to you, and I'm very glad that I was given that opportunity. I recommend this movie to everyone, and it's rough, but hopefully worth it. And hopefully... Hopefully other people will agree. <laughs> Kayla? Anything, or...? No, I was... I, my final point was kind of the, 
the, I don't know, whatever it was I just said. <laughs> yeah, no, this, I actually bought this movie from the video store because it won, you know, won best, best foreign film. And it was a dollar. And heard such good things and it was a dollar, but I haven't gotten around to watching it. And so like, it's been, it's one of those movies. We have a bunch of those because video store, 10 for 10 dollar movies, all that stuff. Uh, it had been sitting on my shelf unwatched forever. And I do appreciate, um, not only making it like, not only, giving me the impetus to finally watch it and appreciate it, but also giving me a lot of perspective that will cause me to seek out more and to just expand my mind, to broaden my horizons, <laughs> man. <laughs> but yeah, that's, um, but that is, that is a separation. That is a lot of emotions, a lot of discussion, but that, yeah, that, I th- it, we all heartily recommend everyone ever watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure you, like, you have some ice cream and some adventure time for afterwards. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were also drinking throughout, so that might have helped lessen the blows as well. Um, all right, and with that, let's get into our recommendations based off of this movie to watch after this movie. Evan, why don't you lead us off? What is your recommendation? So, uh, my recommendation is another Iranian film. Um, there are a lot of big canonical ones that if you if this is your first experience and you Google what are Iranian films I should watch, uh, things like Crimson Gold or Taste of Cherry will come up. But I'm going to recommend one called Offside. It's from 2006, and it's directed by Jafar Panahi. And it's about a group of girls in Iran who want to go watch a World Cup uh, football soccer game. Um, but in Iran, that is not allowed. They, women are not allowed into football stadiums uh, because people are, the government is concerned with them being at risk. Uh, and also just in general <laughs> covering and Islamic reasons. Um, but this small, this group of young girls, uh, most of whom are unnamed want to go anyway, and they get arrested and it's sort of a kind of fuck you to this system. The film is a fuck you to the system that doesn't let them, watch soccer because they love soccer and they want to see it. And it's really interesting. It's uh, very different from this movie, but it actually was banned in Iran before release. Uh, and again, if you know anything about Jafar Panahi, he's now not allowed to make movies and is doing it anyway. But this movie was filmed in Iran, but never was shown there because it depicts a bunch of girls breaking the law and is blatantly in support of them breaking the law. Uh, it's funny and it's touching and it's great. I'm curious. Did the act like did the actresses in the film get in trouble for being in the film, or uh, I actually don't know anything about that. I they didn't. Uh, it was films during a different game than they're depicting. I actually don't know anything about the actresses getting in trouble. Um, okay, cool. Because I think that it's that. more it's more that it was censored and like not allowed to be shown because it could inspire people to break the law. I think that right. I don't think they broke laws filming it. But then again, it's sort of a, <laughs> this is kind of weird. Because Jafar Panahi is under house arrest and is not allowed to make movies. Right, so that's why I... He's making movies that are then very popular at film festivals. The Iranian government has to be aware that these movies are being made. And he keeps making them. So it's not really clear to me, like, are they just not enforcing the fact that he's allowed to make movies? Because they they can't... It's not going under their noses. Like, Iran is getting a lot of attention for movies like Taxi or This Is Not A Film being released. So I don't know if maybe they just, like, let it happen, but... Don't let it be shown in Iran. I don't know. I just imagine the Iranian government just every time this happens, shaking their fist, going, Panahi! 
<laughs> I just had a goofy image of them just like filming the movie entirely in his house every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one the, his most recent one's in a taxi. So. Yeah, it's just it's just a, it's almost a continuous shot uh, of him driving around in a taxi, and it's brilliant. And I recommend that too, but that's not my official recommendation. Right. <laughs> Kayla, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation uh, came almost immediately to mind. And uh, is the movie Blue is the Warmest Color, a.k.a. La Vida Del. And um, it is a 2013 French film by Abelatif Kershish. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, starring Adele Exarchopoulos and Lea Seydoux. And it is basically about this girl, Adele, realizing that she is not straight and falling in love with this girl. And subsequently, how despite... Like, how finding yourself can totally be beautiful and whatnot, how it can actually also sometimes ruin your life and cause everything to fall apart. And it is, I feel, a pretty decent follow-up to this movie because it is intensely emotionally draining. We talked about it a little bit before we started recording that, like, when I originally saw this movie, I was wrecked for just hours after it was over. But at the same time, it is a beautifully done film and I know that there are a lot of people who did not like it for various reasons involving the director being kind of a bad person and also just kind of the way that the lead character is portrayed in the film in regards to her sexuality but overall I think that despite some flaws it is a really great movie and just as a heads up, it is three and a half hours long, and it does have the most uncomfortable sex scene maybe in cinema history. But other than that, great. Tyler, what is your recommendation for this <laughs> well, week? Well, my recommendation is also foreign. It is also bleak. Uh, it is not Phoenix, although I was tempted <laughs> to recommend that, but I've talked about that a lot already. I am actually going to go out on a limb here and do something we haven't done before. I'm going to recommend a movie I haven't seen yet. I am recommending a nominee for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars this year, Son of Saul. Uh, it is considered the shoe-in for the... Uh, it is considered the shoe-in for the award. It has actually topped a number of critics' lists for Best Film of 2015. Uh, it is a, a World War II film, and Lord knows... We have plenty of those, but this and Phoenix are both German films that have kind of given us a different kind of world, a different kind of World War II film um, from from the perspective of the oppressed, not the oppressor or the person ta or the country taking down the oppressors. Um, in this one, it takes place in a concentration camp, and it follows it exclusively from the point of view of this man follows this man Saul as he tries to find like a proper burial for his son. Um, this might be a bit of a spoiler, but looking at the IMDB's description, it says a boy, the body of a boy he takes for his son. So I'm not sure if it's actually his actual son, but I'm sure it is very riveting and depressing in much the same manner either way. Um, this is another instance of what we talked about with the separation of seeking out these foreign films that really that are doing things that not a lot that are landmarks in cinema that are doing things that not a lot of movies do that 
not only expose us to other cultures or other perspectives, whether in history or today, but also kind of change the way that we think about movies, how they're made, and what they can say. And I know here, this movie is going to be showing at the Main Art Theater in, Ro- in Royal Oak, Michigan, which doesn't help most of you. But Just come here and watch it. It'll yeah, be fine. Yeah, come hang out with us. We'll talk. Uh, it's going to be showing here. I'm sure there are plenty of other art theaters after this nomination leading up to the Oscars that are also going to be showing it. And I know I am going to make a point to see it. And given its uh, the, its pedigree and the people who have talked about it and how reverently it's been talked about, I think a lot of people should make a point to go see this movie. And Yeah. I hope it turns out to be good because that would super suck if like you just did this like really nice glowing thing and then we went and saw it and you're like, man, it's that was terrible. Pretty much, it's <laughs> been pretty universally praised, although it is by all, by all accounts an even more difficult film to watch than this one, A Separation. Kayla, there's been a lot of it's been weighed down. There's a lot of serious stuff going on this episode. Why don't you give us something a little more fun, maybe? The Actually, trivia. Uh, you know what? The trivia is probably not fun. Miss <laughs> uh, Kayla, just go with the trivia. So the trivia for this week is that uh, the first initial idea for this movie was the image of a man washing his father who had Alzheimer's. And so that scene where they do that in the movie, which is heartbreaking and awful and devastating was really the first thing that was ever visualized for the movie, and he pretty much built the entire film around that scene. Ouch. Kayla, that trivia was not fun. Ouch. <laughs> I feel I personally attacked. There uh, <laughs> wasn't really any fun trivia about this movie at all, I'd, surprisingly. <laughs> I'd say I came here to have a good time, but we I think we were clearly knew that this movie would not be a fun time. <laughs> Tyler, what is the stat of the week? Well, the stat of the week is a very small one, as it is the number one. There is only one Iranian, Iranian. There is only one Iranian film on the IMDb 250, and I'm not even going to give you a guess. It's it's a separation. You wouldn't have gotten it anyway. <laughs> uh, it is the, also the only movie with the language Persian spoken in it in the 250, and I, I just think it's notable because we talk sometimes about how the IMDb 250 is actually a little more diverse with foreign film, although it's usually from a specific person. Like you have your you have your um, Kurosawa, Kurosawa, your... Um, Miyazaki, Miyazaki, etc. Yeah. Mostly the notable names, and then some of the more notable landmark pieces. You're Christopher of Nolan. I'm sorry. I... I will see myself out. That was, okay, that thank was you. Yeah, please leave, the, please <laughs> leave the blanket for it. But uh, as as highly as we've spoken about many of these movies, as highly as some of them are rated on the IMDb 250, and and as uh, landmark as some of these movies are from Panahi and uh, Farhadi, they they haven't been able to crack the 250. In some of those cases, it might just be not enough votes or not enough votes from the right people. In which case, not enough people are seeing these movies, and so I think it is notable that there, you know, there can be some. We could make a few changes on the 250, and it'd be all right. We could get rid of like half of the Tarantino and Christopher Nolan movies on the 250, and it'd probably be fine. But yeah, uh, so Evan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 
yeah, your perspective was wonderful, and it was really nice to have that because there are certain movies on the 250 that, like, I'll look at the list and I'll be like, I have no idea how we're supposed to talk about this. And, like, this was definitely one that I feel like we were probably not ever thinking of doing anytime soon. And it's exciting to get to do that and have someone who actually knows what they're talking about. So, yeah. Because we never do. <laughs> we are very dumb. Tyler, thanks for <laughs> once again ranting for 25 minutes about a movie. Woo, high five. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that is pretty much the end of our show. If you would like to get a hold of us, and actually, I do want to say this because I made the mistake of telling people to personally email me when mm -hmm. they wanted to be on the list. Um, please, actually, if you want to be on the podcast or you just want to talk to us or whatever, I don't care. You want to tell me that my opinions are wrong. Um, email us. The email is ltrfipod at gmail.com. Uh, Tyler and I both have access to that, so it actually makes way more sense for you to email us there. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, weren't. Another fun and interactive way to get a hold of us is our Twitter, mm -hmm. which is also LTRFIPod. Mostly me and Tyler just retweeting links to things we like, making jokes, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. et you can like us on Facebook, where we post more links to interesting articles that we enjoy, mm -hmm. and two more interesting things that we like <laughs> uh that is facebook.com slash let the right films in and finally for show notes and cool posters and random gift sets other interesting things you can follow us on tumblr it is let the right films in .com. we have a new layout it looks really cool it's generally cool always cool etc you can download us on itunes again if you want to rate and review us that would be pretty cool we would appreciate it tell your friends yes uh we are also available on all of your favorite podcast apps like Podbay, stitcher overcast podcast that's whatever that is podcast it's what i use it's a great app costs a little money but sponsor us mm. anyway uh we also have a soundcloud account where you can listen to things and yeah that is all of our social media links we are going to leave you wait what i have a thing to say oh okay go it ahead. is not all of our social media links what did i forget oh man that's okay um i i post a lot of lists and things and review movies as well on letterboxd it is under my name tyler tells tales but uh we do share some content through that come be our friend and talk about movies with us. It's also another really fun app that, or really fun website that I think more people should use. Sponsor us. We're also going to be announcing a pretty big thing coming soon. I'm not going to give away too many details yet, but we're working with a friend of the podcast on it. And friend of the podcast and possible owner of possible podcast. owner of the podcast, <laughs> which if you listen to the podcast at all, you probably know who it is now. It's Kyle. <laughs> God, <laughs> what mystery? <laughs> mystery. <laughs> I, wasn't, I was going to mention it, but I wasn't sure if we were going to mention it. But yeah, so our super no, secret uh, cool project that we will definitely tell you more about. We're working on it now. It's going to be coming soon. Uh, keep an eye out. Follow us on all your favorite social media and you can be the first to, uh, you know, get on top of that. It'd be cool. Yes. So we have been Let the Right Films In. Mm. We will hopefully see you next week. Do we know? Oh, next week we actually do know what movie we're doing. We are doing Finding Nemo next week. Yes. So that'll be completely different from this episode. <laughs> 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 anyway uh jurassic world is a terrible movie and always will be no, and... i think we should switch to the revenant is overrated and unfortunately probably always will be also i'd rather not with eli roth <laughs> we have too many catchphrases so many <laughs> too many catchphrases let the right films in too many catchphrases including this one now yeah
Marketing. The end. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. That I'm glad you said that. I need. Have you seen Taxi, by the way? Of course. Ah, oh, how is that? I need. It's to incredible. It's like my second favorite movie of the year. Gah. I've heard so much about Taxi, and I want right. to see it. Good. Yes. Great. Anyway. <laughs> Wait, you have nothing to do today. <laughs> uh, I have to shower at some point and get ready because it's okay, Ben's birthday. Fine. Okay. Fine. <laughs> as much Sorry. as I would love to do a seven-hour podcast. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you actually live in this podcast now. Did we forget to mention that? I don't know that we give people enough of a heads up. Like, yeah, it's okay. So the podcast is an hour and a half, which is long, but it's probably going to take three hours to do it because there'll be technical difficulties. We're going to rant a bit. We're going to have to cut a bunch. Of, okay, I'm going to start. Sorry, I got to keep myself in control. Please put that in the blooper. <laughs> I forget to make notes for myself. Like, don't say um, don't say like. Cut it short. Use, use your words, etc. Yeah. Okay. I have a note in front of me. I post a note that says "um" with like crossed out in front of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, the couches we make the blanket fort with do not have great service. Oh, we have the wall right here. We should buy a whiteboard. I have a whiteboard. <laughs> it has. It's a. It's a wet erase board, which is bad. Oh yeah, that's right. Remember when I tried to use it when I lost my voice? <laughs> God, no. <laughs> I'm going to start the conversation. <laughs> All, right. All right. I'm starting for real this time. For realsies. This is for real. Stop. I'm trying, I'm trying to do the thing. <laughs>